This is 99% Invisible. I'm Roman Mars. If you can recognize any piece of classical music, I bet it's this one. This is Furelise, written by Ludwig van Beethoven in 1810. Maybe it reminds you of piano lessons you took when you were a kid. In my town, it was also the song the ice cream truck used to play. That's producer Avery Truffleman. But if you live in Taiwan, and you hear a truck rumbling down the street playing Furelise, it doesn't mean it's time to buy a popsicle. It means it's time to take out your trash. Because this is what a garbage truck in Taiwan sounds like. This garbage truck song isn't just supposed to be cute and fun, although it is also supposed to be cute and fun. The singing garbage trucks are all a part of a completely different way of thinking about waste disposal. Completely different, that is, from the way that we think about it in the United States. In the late 1990s, Taiwan recycled only 5% of its waste. Today, Taiwan recycles well over half. The country is now among the world's top recyclers. And what changed in this period has a lot to do with the way that the trash is collected. Okay, Furelise isn't the only song the trucks play. In Taipei, the capital of Taiwan, the trucks also play this song. That's A Maiden's Prayer by Polish composer Tekla Baruszka Baranowska. And in Taipei City, the garbage trucks just alternate between these two songs. They take turns to play these two songs, two music in Taipei City. Even the elementary school kids can sing the song. So we are brainwashed. This is Dr. Jasmine Wong, and she grew up in Taipei. Since I was a child, I knew that every time when the garbage truck comes, we will hear da na 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 Now the singing garbage trucks are such a part of life, it's hard to imagine a time before them. But that time actually wasn't too long ago. We used to have a lot of big dumpsters. So they will have a lot of rats, mosquitoes, and things like that, and it's not good for our health. Just a couple of decades ago, Taipei residents threw their trash into massive, smelly dumpsters on the streets. Garbage would end up in piles on the sidewalk and in parks. It would fester in the heat. It was just nasty. Then Taiwan's democratization accelerated in the mid-1980s and created this desire to tidy up. Being a modern country means being a clean country. And when you have foreign visitors coming and visiting your capital, they shouldn't think, oh, this place is dirty. This is Mary Alice Haddad, chair of East Asian Studies at Wesleyan University. In Taiwan, the pro-democracy movement got fully entangled with the environmental movement. And so as all those things moved together in the late 80s, early 90s, then the pro-democracy and pro-environment agendas got onto the public consciousness. Also, the environmental movement had a practical end. Taiwan was running out of space to actually put piles of trash because it's a small island, an extremely populous small island. There's not that much space where you're going to stick all your junk. Whereas in the United States, there has been historically a sense of the untamed, untapped, endless wilderness. And you could just throw your junk into the wilderness and it would go away and you wouldn't have to worry about it anymore. Not true in Taipei. It's a big city, but it's really clean and the subways are clean and the stores are clean and the sidewalks are clean and it's really pleasant to be there. You'd never know that the city used to have piles of garbage littering the streets. 
Taipei and a number of other Taiwanese cities reduced the amount of trash by changing the way the trash got collected. Take a look at my garbage. This is my friend Erin Newport. She lives in Taipei, where the garbage truck comes five nights a week. Evenings, like after work. Uh, it comes Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. In Erin's neighborhood, trucks come twice in the evening, at five and at seven. Take out the trash like once a week on one of the days? Ah, uh, yeah, usually once. I mean, it's kind of hard sometimes to find the time to always be home at five, five or seven. Erin has to gather her own garbage and recycling and bring it out to a designated street corner and wait for the big yellow truck to come with an ear perked for the sound of Furalise or Maiden's Prayer coming down the block. Basically, this is a binless system or a garbage canless system. Your trash goes right from your house to the truck, ideally without ever touching the street. You just have to bring out your garbage in a special bag. I pay my garbage bill by purchasing these blue Taipei City garbage bags. These official blue garbage bags say City of Taipei on them, and each is emblazoned with a stamp. I buy them from the convenience store across the street. The official blue garbage bags come in a number of different sizes, ranging from 3 liters to 120 liters. So the more garbage you throw away, the more it'll cost you. And although Taipei residents have to pay for their garbage by the bag, recycling and compost are free. You don't need to buy bags for them at all. You can just take out your recycling in non-official plastic bags, and you can generate as much compost and recycling as you'd like. So residents are incentivized to recycle more and throw out less. I watched Erin sort out all of her recyclables into perfect categories. These are the cans. Cans and bottles. So we have a few tea bottles. So in Taipei, every yellow garbage truck is followed by a small white recycling truck, which is basically a cart full of different bins. There's a bin for plastic bottles, one for glass bottles, different metals and cans, papers and cardboards, and a compost bucket for raw food waste, and a compost bucket for cooked food waste. Taipei residents have to sort their recycling into all these different categories themselves. Although in the white recycling trucks, there are officials and volunteers who can help instruct you about which item goes where. So Erin, her housemates, and I got all of her bags of trash and different kinds of recycling sorted out, and then we walked about a block down the street to wait with the rest of her neighbors, who were all clutching official blue garbage bags. Quite a lot of people gathered here today. I'd say this is maybe larger than your average crew. And then, the moment we were waiting for... There was this mad dash of people swarming to the school bus yellow garbage truck and the white recycling truck. Okay, this one, yeah, people are tossing it in. Swiftly tossing their separate recyclables in the bins, tossing their blue bags in the garbage truck, and running away. It was madness. Like, extremely well-organized madness. That was so chaotic. And this system, for all its chaos, has been working. Taipei City used to produce 3,296 tons of trash a day. Today, the city produces about 1,000 tons a day. That is, according to Chen Weiqi, one of 65 officials who supervise the garbage trucks and their routes. I met him at a garbage pickup site, where Jasmine Wong acted as interpreter. Everybody, this is Mr. Chen. Hey. Hi. And he is his supervisor. Hey. In his district, Chen oversees 20 garbage truck routes, and all those trucks have to make sure that citizens are sorting properly. If they find the garbage in the recycling bag, the people here will tell them that you cannot do that one more time, otherwise you will get a ticket. 
And how much is the ticket? Two hundred U.S. dollars. Uh, but that's the maximum. And you might think this is such a drag. There must be some people who buck the system by tossing their trash into public trash cans. Well, there are hardly any public trash cans in Taipei. They're only in train stations or at bus stops. And those are little. They come up just below your knees. So in Taipei, for the most part, if you eat a candy or buy a coffee, you just take your empty coffee cup or your candy wrapper, put it in your pocket, and bring it home. It's your trash that you put in your blue bag and bring out to the truck yourself. It's hard to imagine a system like this working here in the U.S. Every city here has a different method of trash pickup. But across the board, the uniting factor is that our American trash pickup systems strive to be invisible. The trucks make great efforts to come when we're working or sleeping or trying to sleep, keeping out of the way of traffic and not disturbing the flow of the city. We take our trash and our recycling out to bins or down a chute or to a dumpster, and it's gone. We don't have to think about it. According to the EPA, Americans recycle and compost about 34% of their trash, which is less than most rich countries. But some American cities do a lot better. San Francisco has probably the most forward recycling program in North America. This is Robert Reed. He's the representative of Recology, the company that takes care of San Francisco's waste recycling and compost. Unlike Taipei, which has a public trash pickup system, many waste pickup services in the U.S. are private companies, and we are the customers. That's how it works with Recology, which means they've got to keep their customers happy. Our number one focus is to provide superior customer service. And our next focus is to do as much recycling as possible and to make recycling easy and convenient for customers. Recology has set up similar incentives to the system in Taipei where trash pickup is way more expensive than recycling or compost pickup. For example, in San Francisco, recycling and compost cost about $2 a month per bin. Trash is about $26 a month per bin. But above all, Recology's system is meant to be simple and stress-free. It has to be if you want people to keep paying for your service. People have a lot of demands in their lives. We understand that. You know, recycling might not be the very first thing. They got they got to make their boss happy. They got to pay their mortgage. Garbage and recycling and composting might not always be at the top of the list. We understand that. Basically, instead of putting the onus on the citizens to separate the different kinds of compost and recycling for themselves, Recology does the brunt of the work. Sorting, so we don't have to. San Francisco, like a lot of other American cities that collect recycling, uses one catch-all recycling bin. So you throw your cans, your bottles, your cardboard, all in the same place. And then all those different materials end up in a facility like Recycle Central. So this is Recycle Central. This is the uh, large uh, recycling plant on Pier 96, uh, where we sort all the materials from the blue bin, the bottles, the cans, and the paper. Um, We're going to go inside now. The facility is massive, and it's where Recology processes most of San Francisco's recycling. You can see um, this great big uh, pile of recycling. Uh, This is from this morning. This is from one day. And we're going to get this sorted out because we've got another big pile coming in tomorrow. So we do 600 tons a day here. That 600-ton pile will wind its way up a huge, surreal web of conveyor belts, where some of the 173 people on staff will separate the recyclables into 16 categories of materials, with the help of some modern recycling equipment. 
So we've got uh, magnets and we have fish ladders that separate bottles and cans from paper. They're on, a, they're on an angle and they temporarily suspend gravity. And to make sure everything gets precisely sorted, there's some real state-of-the-art technology, like this apparatus that separates clear plastic from colored plastic with optic sensors. Right here, the scanner is looking at the materials as they come by and when it sees a clear plastic, like a clear plastic water bottle, it hits it with a puff of air and you can hear it. It's expensive. It costs $3 million for this machine, and it came from the Netherlands. So this system, with all of its whirring, twirling conveyors and magnets and machinery and 173 employees, it's dazzling. It makes less trash by doing more recycling. And recycling creates 10 times more jobs than landfilling or incineration. Of course, it also takes all the direct sorting out of the hands of the people who actually create the waste and charges them for the service instead. As a result, recycling in the U.S. can be expensive. I guess that's part of the problem. Like, to the extent that there's pushback in recycling, which I've seen some of in the United States now, it's often about the cost of it and how it's it's very costly. And that's true if you're using the single-stream processes function, and it's less true if the household does the separating. That's Professor Mary Alice Haddad again. If your community wants to recycle, all that stuff needs to be separated and sorted, somehow. Whether you use a $3 million machine from the Netherlands or compel an entire sweet potato-shaped island of people to stand on the corner at night. The Taipei system is cheap and efficient because the city has conscripted their citizens as workers. And it's been successful. Taipei is a great example of uh, a big, major global metropolitan area that did not have a good garbage collection system not that long ago. And they have completely transformed. And it could be an example for us all. Which is not to say we should necessarily copy Taipei's system. What's worked for them might not work for the U.S. But consider the American garbage truck creeping around at dawn or during work hours, trying to be as inconspicuous as possible, trying to keep trash out of sight and out of mind. You don't really pay attention to it, but everyone should pay a lot of attention. If we had to watch our garbage pile up in our homes without taking it out to the bin and had to set aside time in our days to catch the garbage and recycling trucks coming down the street, I bet we'd produce less junk. But I also think if I had to hear this song twice a night, five days a week, I would murder everybody. Invisible was produced this week by Avery Truffleman with Katie Mingle, Sam Greenspan, Delaney Hall, Kurt Colstead, Sharif Youssef, and me, Roman Mars. Special thanks this week to Helen Sang, Aaron Newport, Ethan Young, Sam Langton, and Jasmine Wong. We are a project of 91.7 KALW in San Francisco and produced under the offices of ArcSign, an architecture and interiors firm in beautiful downtown Oakland, California. 
We often don't think of winter as a time of growth or creation, but if you think about it, it's the perfect time to create your own website because you're cooped up, you're thinking about being productive, and now Squarespace can help you do it. With Squarespace, you can take your cool ideas, your creative content, your services and goods, and you can turn them into a beautiful website in just a few clicks. This is because their easy-to-use templates are created by world-class designers, and then you have the ability to customize the look and feel and the different settings for your own needs. For example, my site, romanmars.com, I made with Squarespace. The landing page features a close-up of me talking to a microphone, so it has my, you know, my very handsome beard. But if I should ever shave it, I don't have to wait for my web guy to change the photo. I can do it myself, and maybe the next photo will feature my soulful eyes. On one of the pages, I've also picked out some of my favorite episodes of 99% Invisible to share, and the audio is conveniently embedded, even on mobile. Try it yourself. Go to squarespace.com invisible for a free trial, and when you're ready to launch, use the offer code INVISIBLE to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. You can find this show and like the show on Facebook. You can follow us all on Twitter and Instagram. We have a very good Tumblr that Avery takes care of. But the best way to explore the 99% invisible activity that shapes the design of our world is to do a deep dive on our website. It's 99pi.org. Radiotopia. Radiotopia.